Chapter Thirty Seven of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. April's Lady by Margaret Wolfe Hungerford. Chapter Thirty Seven love is its own great loveliness always and takes new beauties from the touch of time in bow owes no december and no may but bears its blossoms into winter's clime i have often thought what a melancholy world this would be without children oh felix it is you says mrs monkton in a dismayed tone her hansom is at the door and arrayed in her best bib and tucker she is hurrying through the hall when dysart who has just come presents himself he was just coming in in fact as she was going out don't mind me says he there is always to-morrow oh yes but and miss kavanagh it is to recover her i am going out this afternoon it is the next day so soon after her rupture with joyce that she is afraid to even hint at further complications a strong desire to let him know that he might wait and try his fortune once again on her return with joyce is oppressing her mind but she puts it firmly behind her or thinks she does she is lunching at the brabazons she says old friends of ours i promised to lunch there too so as to be able to bring joyce home again she will be back then in an hour and a half at least says mrs monkton who after all is not strong enough to be quite genuine to her better judgments but with a start and a fresh determination to be cruel in the cause of right that would be much too long for you to wait for us i shouldn't think it long says he mrs monkton smiles suddenly at him how charming how satisfactory he is could any lover be more devoted well it would be for all that says she but hesitating in a last vain effort to dismiss and then losing herself suppose you do not abandon your visit altogether that you go away now and get your lunch at your club i feel contritely how inhospitable i am and then come back again here about four o'clock she i will have returned by that time an excellent plan says he his face lighting up then it clouds again if she knows i am to be here ah that is a difficulty says mrs monkton her own pretty face showing signs of distress but anyhow risk it i would rather she knew however says he steadily the idea of entrapping her into a meeting with him is abhorrent to him he had had enough of that at the doré gallery though he had been innocent of any intentional deception there i will tell her then says mrs monkton and in the meantime go and get your 
at this moment the door on the right is thrown open and tommy with a whirr hoop descends upon them followed by mabel oh it's felix cries he joyfully will you stay with us felix we've no one to have dinner with us to-day because mammy is going away and joyce is gone and pappy is nowhere and nurse isn't a bit of good she only says take care you don't choke yourselves my dearies he imitates nurse to the life and dinner will be here in a minute mary says she's going to bring it upstairs oh do do stay with us supplements little mabel thrusting her small hand imploringly into his it is plain that he is in high favor with the children however out of it with certain other members of the family and feeling grateful to them dysart hesitates to say the no that is on his lips how hard it is to refuse the entreaties of these little clinging fingers these eager lovely upturned faces if i may says he at last addressing mrs monkton and thereby giving in oh as for that you know you may says she but you will perfectly hate it it is too bad to allow you to accept their invitation you will be bored to death and you will detest the boiled mutton there is only that and rice i think i won't even be sure of the rice it may be tapioca and that is worse still it's rice says tommy who is great friends with the cook and knows till her secrets that decides the question says felix gravely everyone knows that i adore rice it is my one weakness at this mrs monkton gives way to an irrepressible laugh and he catching the meaning of it laughs too you are wrong however says he that other is my one strength i could not live without it well tommy i accept your invitation i shall stay and lunch dine with you in truth it seems sweet in his eyes to remain in the house that she joyce occupies it will be easier to wait to hope for her return there than elsewhere your blood be on your own head says barbara solemnly if however it goes too far i warn you there are remedies when it occurs to you that life is no longer worth living go to the library you will find there a revolver it is three hundred years old i am told it is hung very high on the wall to keep it out of freddy's reach blow your brains out with it if you can you're awfully good awfully thoughtful says mr dysart but i don't think when the final catastrophe arrives it will be suicide if i must murder somebody it will certainly not be myself it will be either the children or the mutton mrs monkton laughs then turns a serious eye on tommy now tommy says she addressing him with a gravity that should have overwhelmed him i am going away from you for an hour or so and mr dysart has kindly accepted your invitation to lunch with him i do hope with increasing impressiveness you will be good 
i hope so too returns tommy genially there is an astonished pause confined to the elders only and then mr dysart unable to restrain himself any longer bursts out laughing could anything be more candid says he more full of trust in himself and yet with a certain modesty withal there you can go mrs monkton with a clear conscience i am not afraid to give myself up to the open-handed dealing of your son then his tone changes he follows her quickly as she turns from him to the children to bid them good-bye miss kavanagh says he is she well happy she is well says barbara stopping to look back at him with her hand on mabel's shoulder there is reservation in her answer had she any idea that i would call to-day this question is absolutely forced from him how should she even i did not know it certainly i thought you would come some day and soon and she may have thought so too but you should have told me you called too soon impatience is a vice says mrs monkton shaking her head in a very kindly fashion however i suppose when she knows when with a rather sad smile you tell her i am to be here on her return this afternoon she will not come with you oh yes she will i think so i am sure of it but you must understand felix that she is very peculiar difficult is what they call it nowadays and pausing and glancing at him she is angry too about something that happened before you left last autumn i hardly know what i have imagined only and rapidly don't let us go into it but you will know that there was something something yes says he well a trifle probably i have said she is difficult but you failed somewhere and she is slow to pardon where where what does that mean demands the young man a great spring of hope taking life within his eyes ah that hardly matters but she is not forgiving she is the very dearest girl i know but that is one of her faults she has no faults says he doggedly and then well she knows i am to be here this afternoon yes i told her i am glad of that if she returns with you from the barbizons with a quick but heavy sigh there will be no hope in that don't be too hard says mrs monkton who in truth is feeling a little frightened to come back without joyce and encounter a irate young man with freddy goodness knows where she may have other engagements she says she waves him an airy adieu as she makes this cruel suggestion and with a kiss more hurried than usual to the children and a good deal of nervousness in her whole manner runs down the steps to her hansom and disappears felix thus abandoned yields himself to the enemy he gives his right hand to freddy and his left to mabel and lets them lead him captive into the dining-room i expect dinner is cold says tommy cheerfully seating himself with more ado 
and watching the nurse, who is always in attendance at this meal, as she raises the cover from the boiled leg of mutton. Oh, no, not yet, said Mr. Dysart, quite as cheerfully raising the carving knife and fork. Something, however, ominous in the silence that has fallen on both children make itself felt, and without being able exactly to realize it, he suspends operation for a moment to look at them. He finds four eyes staring in his direction with astonishment, generously mingled with pious horror shining in their clear depths. Eh? says he involuntarily. Aren't you going to say it? asks Mabel in a severe tone. Say what? says he. Grace! returns Tommy with a distinct disprobation. Oh, er, yes, of course. How could I have forgotten it? says Dysart spasmodically, laying down the carvers at once and preparing to distinguish himself. He succeeds admirably. The children are leaning on the tablecloth in devout expectation that has something, however, sinister about it. Nurse is looking on, also expectant. Mr. Dysart makes a wild struggle with his memory, but all to no effect. The beginning of various prayers come with malignant readiness to his mind. The ends of several psalms, the middles of a verse or two, but the graces shamelessly desert him in his hour of need. Good gracious! What is the usual one, the one they use at home, the er— he becomes miserably conscious that Tommy's left eye is cocked sideways and is regarding him with fatal understanding. In a state of desperation he bends forward as low as he well can, wondering vaguely where on earth is his hat, and mumbles something into his plate that might be a bit of a prayer, but certainly is not a grace. Perhaps it is a last cry for help. "'What's that?' demands Tommy promptly. "'I didn't hear one word of it,' says Mabel with indignation. Mr. Dysart is too stricken to be able to frame a reply. "'I don't believe you know one,' continues Tommy, still fixing him with an uncompromising eye. "'I don't believe you were saying anything, do you, nurse?' "'Oh, fine now, Master Tommy. I heard your ma telling you you were to be good.' well so i am good tis he isn't good he won't say his prayers do you know one turning again to dysart who is covered with confusion what the deuce did he say here for why didn't he go to his club he could have been back in plenty of time if that confounded grinning woman of a nurse would only go away it wouldn't be so bad but Never mind, says Mabel, with calm resignation. I'll say one for you. No, you shan't, cries Tommy. It's my turn. No, it isn't. It is, Mabel. You said it yesterday, and you know you said relieve instead of received, and Mother laughed. And I don't care. It is Mr. Dysart's turn today, and he'll give his to me, won't you, Mr. Dysart? "'You're a greedy thing,' cries Tommy, wrathfully, "'and you shan't say it. 
I'll tell Mr. Dysart what you did this morning if you do. I don't care, with disgraceful callousness. I will say it. Then I'll say it too, says Tommy, with sudden inspiration born of a determination to die rather than give in, and instantly four fat hands are joined in pairs, and two sapphiric countenances are appraised, and two shrill voices at screaming pitch are giving thanks for the boiled mutton at a racing speed that censorious people might probably connect with a desire on the part of each to be first in at the finish. Manfully they fight it out to the bitter end, without a break or a comma, and with defiant eyes glaring at each other across the table. There is a good deal of the grace. It is quite a long one when usually said, and yet very little grace in it to-day when all is told. You may go now, nurse, says Mabel presently, when the mutton has been removed and nurse has placed the rice and jam on the table. Mr. Dysart will attend to us. It is impossible to describe the grown-up air with which this command is given. It is so like Mrs. Monkton's own voice and manner that Felix, with a start, turns his eyes on the author of it, and Nurse, with an ill-suppressed smile, leaves the room. That's what Mammy always says when there's only her and me and Tommy, explains Mabel confidently. Then, you with a doubtful glance, you will attend to us, won't you? I'll do my best, says Felix, in a depressed tone, whose spirits are growing low. After all, there was safety in nurse. I think I'll come up and sit nearer to you, says Tommy affably. He gets down from his chair and pushes it, creaking hideously up to Mr. Dysart's elbow, right under it, in fact. So will I, says Mabel, fired with joy at the prospect of getting away from her proper place and eating her rice in a forbidden spot. But, begins Felix vaguely, do you think your mother would? We always do it when we are alone with Mommy, says Tommy. She says it keeps us warm to get under her wing when the weather is cold, says Mabel, lifting a lovely little face to his and bringing her chair down on the top of his toe. She says it keeps her warm, too. Are you warm now, anxiously? Yes, yes, burning, says Mr. Dysart, whose toe is not unconscious of a corn. Ah, I knew you'd like it, says Tommy. Now go on, give us our rice, a little rice and a lot of jam. Is that what your mother does, too? asks Mr. Dysart meanly it must be confessed, but his toe is very bad still. The silence that follows his question and the look of the two downcast little faces is, however, punishment enough. Well, so be it, says he, but even if we do finish the jam, I'm awfully fond of it myself. We must promise faithfully not to be disagreeable about it, not to be ill, that is, ill we're never ill says tommy valiantly whereupon they make an end of the jam in no time 
End of chapter 37 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.